Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. It's no secret our audience loves Grace Lynch, who is one of our producers of the show, but also now uh, sometimes co-host of the show. And I just want you to know, audience, we have asked her to be on as much as she possibly can. But she's busy because she has other responsibilities and she has this really amazing show. Jason, you want to tell them about it? You should check out season two of her show, As She Rises. Sometimes the way we talk about climate change feels untouchable. Other times we're so close to it that it's exhausting. How do we understand the climate crisis when we're living through it? Enter As She Rises, a podcast centering native voices and women of color that personalizes the elusive magnitude of climate change. Each week, hear from poets and experts local to one place in the U.S. and territories. From the Florida wetlands to the coral reefs of American Samoa and the Pueblo Nation, we learn how climate change is affecting hometowns and what communities are doing to address it. And best of all, you get it all from Grace Lynch. So listen and follow As She Rises on wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Kander. And I'm Robbie Gupta. And this is Majority 54, the podcast for meaningful conversations that change minds, change votes, and win elections. Ravi, how was your Easter? You know, not very good, Jason. You know, there was this, uh, you know, I love Dak Shepard and his podcast, The Armchair Expert. And there was this one episode where he like relapsed and it was like a big part of his, his identity that he'd been sober for a long time. And I remember listening to that episode being like, man, like that's got to be really hard. And to me, I had like an M54 relapse this weekend, which was I kind of just gave up this weekend. Uh, and I did a lot of things I probably would tell our audience and have told our audience not to do. But I went down to North Carolina to visit my brother. But my whole family was there for the first time since pre-COVID, like years since all of us were in the same room together. And I don't share I won't share all the details. And this is just my perspective of it. But, you know, essentially, my brother was like very personally attacking me about my politics to the point where I just couldn't get him to stop. And I literally just walked out of his house and checked into a hotel. So it was he he was like trying to draw you out and you were trying yeah. to avoid it? Yeah. And I did gut check this with my sister who was overheard the conversation where I was like, hey, did I miss anything here? Like this felt crazy to me. Um, and I don't want to drag her into it, but I at least verified that I wasn't imagining it all. Uh, and it was really, really bad. Like, I have to say, like, it was just terrible. Like, it was the first time we were together, and obviously we weren't together for that long. You know, and, like, a lot of my relatives aren't getting any younger. And it was just terrible. It was just absolutely horrible. Uh, and I, you know, I ended the last episode by saying try harder. <laughs> and I think I probably could have tried harder, if not with my brother, than with everybody else, you know? 
Now, your dad was there, too. I saw your dad on I, social media. Ironically, this is like a family whack-a-mole where my dad and I are fine, and like he's still going to run. We had a good conversation about that, but he, he committed to not putting his back into the race. So uh, for, you know? for those who those who don't know, those listening, we talked about this last week. Well, let's do the whole context. Robbie, yeah. Robbie your brother, Yuri, right? Yeah. Uh, has been uh, on the show before. People can go back yep. and listen to that. That's that's your Republican brother. We've had him on. And then uh, your dad is actually about to be a candidate for the state Senate in New York. And he's I think very technically Republican. he is a candidate. Yeah. So I think he, he is technically a candidate. is a candidate. Yeah. And my brother, my, my dad's like probably even more to the right. My brother, they both, you know, have voted for Trump, but my dad is like a Trump fan. Uh, and you know, it's just like I'm just I'm so sick of talking politics with my family is basically it. I was trying really hard not to talk about it at all uh, with my family. And that's, I think, the root of it all. I think part of the conflict was my brother was trying to draw it out of me, uh, maybe because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't he, he's a corrections officer. He doesn't talk politics a lot. So he probably wanted to have that. Yeah, that's debate. what happens. Like with I mean, my family agrees with me and stuff. But like there are times where I'm like, I, I not so much now, but like especially when I was you know, running for things where I was just like, I, I just talk about this every day. Can we not? Literally um, every day. Yeah. I can't imagine how hard that would be if they didn't agree with me on things. Yeah. And he's like, I could see, I'm, I don't want to be too charitable to him because he was really a huge dick about it. But like the, he, I think to him, like, I think I must've come across as dismissive to him and not wanting to, to continue this conversation and it just brought out all the, you know, he's my older brother, all the picking on me and the ass kickings he gave me as a kid. It all came back in a split second. And like, you know, there were two parts in my mind. One was, am I going to punch my brother in the face in front of his son and the rest of my family? Or am I going to walk out of this house right now? And I'm glad I chose the latter, but there probably was a third option. It's just, you know, when you have that rush of adrenaline. Yeah. Punch the kid. That's the third option. Yeah, right? punch the kid. That would have worked out <laughs> sorry, really well. That's terrible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's like you know, that it was thing just from speed. Shoot the hostage. Um, it was really hard, yeah. and I and I actually apologize to our audience for so much family shit in the past couple of weeks. But you know, I know that you deal with this too. And actually, what makes this episode great, Jason? We have a great guest on uh, about you know it couldn't be better timing. Monica Guzman is actually a professional bridge builder, and she wrote this book called I Never Thought of It That Way. And we actually booked her before I had this whole brouhaha with my family. Shout out to my sister, by the way, who basically served as the Monica Guzman of my family this weekend and really was trying to solve this problem. Uh, but uh, Monica Guzman is uh, a child of immigrants like I am, uh, who, you know, her parents, both of her parents voted for Trump. They're Mexican immigrants. And she has dedicated her life to understanding people with different beliefs than she has. And she does it at this organization called Braver Angels, which is the nation's largest cross-partisan grassroots organization working to depolarize America. She basically goes around the country having conversations with people to gain a deeper understanding about why they believe what they believe. And she has this book called I Never Thought of It That Way, which is awesome. And it's basically a how-to guide for our Majority 54 audience about how to have those difficult conversations and even what your goal in these conversations should be. So Jason, one of my favorite conversations we've ever had, essentially this was like political therapy for me. And I'm just really grateful for you uh, being along for the ride because I think you've had the least amount of work to do in, in any episode yet on this one. I mean, and ironically, it's therapy where I've had the least amount of work to do. Where I'm <laughs> kind of known for, for going to therapy. So I was just pleased to sit in on your session. Well, Monica, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. 
Well, Monica, in your book, you say one of your favorite questions to ask is, why you? And I'm left wondering that question about you because you are a professional bridge builder, among other things, which is the coolest job ever. <laughs> so why you? Why did you take on this work? Oof. There's several threads that pointed me here. One is my relationship with my parents. It's the most personal one. So they are very conservative and I am pretty liberal. We've voted differently since we became citizens in the year 2000. We're Mexican immigrants. So a line that really stopped conversation in 2017 here in very democratic Seattle among my friends was, my parents are Mexican immigrants who voted for Donald Trump. Uh, the contrast between the conversations I can have with them and they can have with me and the level of understanding we've reached about each other's perspectives contrasted with the extraordinarily challenges <laughs> that exist for many people in many relationships, which also exist with us, but that we've been able to overcome at least to the level of being able to reach that understanding uh, is part of what led me to this work. Another thread is my work in journalism. So the way I think of it, journalism is lots and lots of conversations of understanding without judgment. And that's what you do. Your job is to go get somebody's story and then cross your fingers and hope that you got it right enough that you can then communicate it to total strangers. And doing that over and over again, over a long period of time has helped me realize that no one is beyond understanding that everyone can uh, be sort of seen and heard for the concerns that they carry and the perspectives that they hold genuinely. And it's given me a lot of hope that even in an extremely divided time, we can do this. Uh, so those are the two are the two main threads. Um, and the third one, of course, is, hey, I'm here in America with everyone else freaked out that we can't get anything done, um, that we are so divided that we're blinded, and that all of our capacity for creativity and competence and the skill and talent that we have is not being put to good use because so much of our energy is, is being thrown at, you know, despising people we don't understand and views that we're only beginning to get a grasp of. So if we can more effectively talk to each other and actually see where people are coming from, we'll better understand where we are and we'll have a better handle on where we're going. Well, and Monica, on that front, you know, my dad is a um, Trump, Trump voter and fan, uh, and he's an immigrant from India. And take us to that, back to, to your parents. And so much of your book is about asking the right questions to gain, um, you know, you take the, your whole book is basically a progression through a series of steps to get to the truth, to get to honesty, which is really the mm -hmm. goal. And walk us through that, that, that experience with your parents. Like, what were the questions that you asked that really helped shed light I know particularly you talk about your dad so eloquently in the mm -hmm. book. Like what, what questions did you ask him that helped you get to his truth and what was that truth? Mm. Yeah, I, I tell the story of um, he and I both love music. And so we went to um, like a jazz show once. And then before the main show started, I really wanted to ask him a lot of questions. And so we're sitting there kind of eating our food and I brought up how surprising it is to me that he is a Mexican immigrant, but holds views on immigration that are so conservative and, and that also support, you know, the policies of Donald Trump, which to me were just wound up in all this stuff he was saying about Mexicans that just seemed kind of off. And, and how, how can he see this this way? 
And so the question um, was, how did you come to believe that? Um, and, and it ended up taking the shape of what, what, what in your, you know, tell me dad about growing up in Mexico and looking at the United States, what was that like? And he told me, he told me about watching his father, my grandfather, be made fun of by his adult friends for, for paying his taxes on time. Mexico is a country where you can get away with a lot. And my grandfather followed rules that he didn't have to because there was a principle behind that for him. My dad grew up seeing that in his own father and admiring that principle very much and wanting to aspire to be like his father. So when he looked at the United States, he saw a country that enforced its laws and that's good. So when he looks at immigration, you know, th there were a bunch of questions like this. And, and I asked him, what, what, what about the people who do want to change immigration law? And he said, that's fine, but change the law first. Don't go breaking it. You know, that, that disrespects this country. That, that, isn't, that isn't a good way to be. And when he put it that way, I could understand. The key is the word how. Yes. It, because when you, when you say, how did you come to feel this way? What is implicit there is tell me a story as opposed to why, which is make an argument to me, throw mm -hmm. me, give me some statistics, give me something that you heard or you read. But how is show me your math. Tell me the mm. journey you went on to arrive at the place where you are now. Exactly. Part of the power of how, not why is, because I talk about this a lot. It's so powerful. Part of the power of how, not why comes in what you don't get stuck doing. When you ask why, you ask people, like you said, for their reasons, the statistics, all of that. And you then are at the ready to answer with your own reasons and statistics and facts. So you very quickly come to this place of a showdown. And then it's about proving who's more right. And so then you just get all granular and whatnot. But what ends up happening a lot of times in these sorts of polarized conversations is you end up, <laughs> raise your hand if you've done this, you end up repeating yourself. <laughs> but, but this reason, yeah, but that reason. And then you just start retreading everything. The only difference being you're now more angry about it. Mm. Now, instead, when you ask how and you ask someone for their story, you could respond with your own story. But those two, those two stories have no grounds to try to be better than the other. You are both human beings with experiences, period. There is nothing more or less valid than for one of you than the other. So you have to contend with the nuances of your different paths, and you just can't argue against their validity. Mm. And, you know, your book is peppered with these vignettes of stories of of people from around the country who have such interesting stories about how they came to their beliefs. And one sticks out to me, which is Sophia from Boston. Do you mind telling us her story? Yeah, so she is uh, an immigrant from a communist country who is really um, convinced that, that Joe Biden is an illegitimate president, that the election was a fraud from the beginning. Um, when I first encountered her, it was online and she was using an anonymous account. And I ended up asking if, if we could basically take it up a level. Um, if instead of being here online where we're just communicating with words and empty little avatars, and I knew that her name was a fictional character, so I knew it wasn't her real name, if she wouldn't mind getting on a Zoom call with me 
And she did. And, and it was on the Zoom call that I realized who this person was behind these beliefs that were so confounding to me. It was when I heard her accent and when I heard her talk about being an immigrant from a communist country and, and how in her story, she has members of her family who were killed by the regime. It's the way she puts it, right? So anyone who takes even remote steps towards socialism, communism, just huge alarm bells in her head. Do I agree with any of her conclusions about the validity of elections here in the United States? Not at all. I think she's wrong. But do I understand how that level of anxiety and fear would cause an enormous reaction against, well, you know, a Democratic Party that sure is moving more left? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. it helps explain the Cuban vote in, in Florida, for mm -hmm. example. You know, right, right. Why Democrats have, Democrats have continually struggled there. Uh, and why, like a lot of the, the socialism arguments, really resonated there. Yeah. Well, I also think it's important for us to realize that that stuff works in both directions, right? Like we we don't we never think about the fact that there are people whose economic interests and and everything else about like where they live and that kind of thing may not naturally line up with the Democrats, mm -hmm. but there's something in in their lineage, you know. I mean, because oftentimes like politics is passed down like religion now. Yes. And so we, we always tend to look at those things and go like, man, why, why, why do we get such a raw deal on this mm -hmm. without recognizing that there are people that we have not had to work as hard to convince because it, there's some other factor that has caused them to, uh, you know, have a natural pro proclivity toward us. That's right. Right. So I, I see a kind of parallel between the more simple something looks, the less clearly we're seeing it right at a, at a time like this, if it's a truly controversial issue, and we're seeing it as a binary, we're not seeing it. There's going to be more complexity. And especially with the electorate, my goodness. You know, I think that we, um, I think, you know, from a from partisan and even activist perspective, whenever we start to make these huge generalizations about groups, the problem with certainty is that when you think you know, you won't think to ask. And you start walking around with these statistics thinking you know everybody. And lo and behold, someone's going to surprise you with a vote in a direction that you did not anticipate because you stopped asking questions about who they are and what is motivating them. You thought you already knew. Your polling agency, you know, already gave you the numbers last election. <laughs> you right. can't stop being you can't stop being curious. And Monica, the thing I struggle with with this is there's the how you got to your position and then there's your position. Mm -hmm. And then there are some things like whether the election was stolen or not. Mm. that to me, I don't want to be a relativist about that. It wasn't stolen. <laughs> like It just wasn't stolen. <laughs> and so like when we get there, I'm like, okay, I get it, Sophia. Like, I really feel for you. Like, like I see your humanity, but, <laughs> but you're wrong. <laughs> like, what, right. how do I do that? Like, because I don't want to then walk around and just be like, because I have this perception and I know our audience feels this way too, because I get a lot of messages to this respect that, I feel like I put so much energy into being curious to the other side and nobody asks me shit mm. about what my beliefs are. <laughs> like I'm in my family, I just had an Easter. Mm -hmm. Like nobody asked me, hey, Ravi, what, like, why are you, like, what are your views? Why do you believe that? And I feel like this is true of our media. Like do you have mm. the New York Times story in the diner in, in Pittsburgh about like, why did these people believe? Where are those articles going the other way, by the way? I know personally, yeah. I don't get these questions ever. Um, and so I have that dual feeling of like, yes, I want to see humanity in people. I want to understand why they can. And I'm sure that will lead me to then revisit my positions in many different ways, but not on some of these things mm -hmm. like the election and whether it was stolen. 
then you also have this like curiosity gap where it's like at one some point I need this to be reciprocated. Yeah, you know. Yeah, if that makes any sense. Oh, absolutely. Sorry, that's a lot. But no, I'm no, just no, no. I love this because there's there's yeah. like ten different directions to go here, and I'll just pick one um, for now. So it uh, I work at Braver Angels. It's an awesome nonprofit working on depolarizing America, and through that I got to know this married couple, uh, Rick and Barbara. And Rick is. Republican voted for Trump, Barbara, Democrat voted for Biden and Clinton and all the way back. And they've been married a long time. Um, and they got to know Braver Angels and the tactics and strategies for being curious about each other. But they still, they got to this really hard place where Barbara was noticing that she was asking Rick all kinds of questions about his beliefs. And Rick was answering and being patient and loving and the whole thing, but Rick would not ask her. So the same thing, this curiosity gap. And so they finally kind of talked about it. And and Rick was just, you know, really leveled with her on something. And, and he said, look, the reason I'm not asking you as many questions about your liberal beliefs is because I feel like I already know them. I'm completely surrounded by them all the time. They're in the yeah. media. They're in the whole world. Every piece of entertainment is just like, it feels like it's badgering me with your beliefs. So I feel like I know them. That's why I'm not asking. And Barbara said, you're not seeing me. I am mm. not like every other liberal. I get it because because Barbara did test that. She's like, oh, yeah, well, then why yeah. do liberals believe so-and-so? And Rick actually answered it right. She's like, oh, okay, good point. <laughs> you probably do know mm -hmm. a lot about liberals because liberals, well, there's a lot out there about what we believe, fine. But that right. still doesn't mean that you know me. And, and I don't feel like you're hearing me when you assume that the reasons I believe what I believe are the same ones that your generic liberal in your mind you know, uses. And that actually caused a change in Rick. And Rick is more yeah. intentionally asking her questions. But I say that also to bring up the point Rick brought up, which is there are some contexts in some places where this is not actually an even thing. One side actually does feel that it understands or is surrounded by the other more. It depends yeah. on where you are, you know, and what your, what your surroundings might be. Yeah. If you live in a rural area, mm -hmm. I mean, I talk to those folks all the time where they're just like, I'm the only liberal where I live. I had a work trip yesterday to Boston. It was a terrible work trip. It just felt like one of those days where everything was kind of going wrong all day. One of the things that was bothering me so much was I had forgotten to bring my travel pack of athletic greens. Well, what is this stuff? I think people are often wondering this because we just talk about how much we love it. With one delicious scoop of athletic greens, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. And they were created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues and ended up on a complicated supplement routine to recover. And it cost him $100 a day. And so he created Athletic Greens after experiencing how difficult it was to create an optimal nutrition routine on his own. So to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com majority. Again, that's athleticgreens.com majority to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. It can be hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel when you have high interest debt. And sometimes it can be even harder 
to ask for help. And that's where Upstart comes in. Upstart-powered personal loans can help you pay down high interest debt. It's all online with simple and easy-to-understand payment terms. Upstart has helped over 1.8 million customers on their path to financial freedom. And Upstart knows you're more than just your credit score. So rather than looking at your credit score alone, Upstart's model considers other factors like your income, employment, and other information provided in your loan application to find you a smarter rate for your loan. You could check your rate in minutes for loans between $1,000 to $50,000 without impacting your credit score. So don't wait and check your rate today at upstart.com slash majority54. That's upstart.com slash majority54 to check your rate today. And don't forget to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Go to upstart.com slash majority54. Well, okay, let's bring it back to the question of then, okay, let's say now we understand Sophia, but she Mm -hmm. believes that the election was stolen. What now? Because Mm. our audience are the type of people who are not going to stop at the water's edge and be like, okay, cool, I understand you now. They're going to want... They're going to want more because they're worried that if there are too many Sophias out there, even if they're understood, then our country will be taken over in a coup. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, what do we do yeah. at that point? This is great. We should totally zoom in because um, Sophia is still you know, in these online spaces. And I got to tell you, she has an answer to everything. No, I know. I have um, a family member who yeah. is very much like this. Yeah. yeah. She's, she's one of those folks who, I mean, this is why I reached out to her in the first place because- because she she really was making these arguments. She was pointing to articles, you know, reputable sources, no, but sources she trusted and read this yeah. and read that and read this document. She she gives everyone so much homework that no one could possibly do. So yes, this thank is- you for mentioning this. This is literally my Easter. This is my Easter. I'm sweating <laughs> yeah. thinking about it, honestly. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah. And and um uh, anyway, so it it is an enormous challenge. So I think I think for people, for people who want to actually okay, go beyond understanding and want to actually like tangle with and engage that depth of conviction from that those that many hours Sophia has spent reading documentation and affirming her own beliefs, be ready for a long game. It is an extremely yeah. long thing. So, and if you go into that long game with the express purpose of changing that person's mind, you will fail. You but this is like a mind. Fail. This is like a. I don't want to keep cursing, but this is like a mind fuck. Like, <laughs> like what is my goal then? Because like I, I'm a, I'm a civically minded person. Yeah. So like I want. I know. I know. It, it's it, it's like one thing. Like honestly, my goal for Easter was to just get in and out without a fight, which I did not succeed at. But the, <laughs> but my, but my goal writ large is to, and that's why we do this podcast, is to persuade. And I know in your book you're yeah. very careful to say like you know slow your roll. And all that, but like we we do want to make sure that too many people don't believe January six. So if our goal is to make them not believe that, but then the goal can't be that. It's almost like this weird, yeah, you know. Part of it is that essential state. Yeah, here's here's part of it is if if the goal is first of all the goal of persuasion. It's not like we can zap it out of our brains. It'll always be there. That's right. fine. But if the yeah. express and only purpose, if you're focused on persuading, one of the things that will happen is you will close your mind to what you could learn from her. Right. And, and yeah. too often we go into these conversations going, I have nothing to learn from this person. Their, yeah. their conclusions are baloney. They've got nothing to teach me. Now, they may have nothing to teach you, you know, to try to get you to believe something that's just wrong. Okay. But their story is going to include and incorporate a lot of potential things that you could be paying attention to, right? Like I remember one conversation I had with my dad. Now, my dad 
my dad accepts the election, you know, that's fine. Like he's not, you know, but lucky you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But like right after the election though, uh, I called him the very next day and just, just to, just to talk to him. And, and he did tell me, he's like, you know, I, I know that, I know that this election was fine, but it's like, it was COVID. A lot of states went to mail only. Everyone was freaked out. There were accusations about the post office. He's like, I don't, I don't know how you could say that there isn't, that there were, that there weren't some reasons to be concerned. And I feel like my side was drowned out on those reasons that any concerns about the process of the election and, and people pointed at us going conspiracy theorists, theorists. And he thought that was unfair. And I thought he had a point. So I learned from him, you know, we did do an election during a pandemic. It was very different than we would have done it had it not been for the pandemic. Lots of states moved to a different process while a lot of people were still sick, scared, being at home. Okay, fair, fair, right? And I had to be open to conceding that point to him. So if we go into these conversations and and we just think we're right and our only purpose is to show them that, we will fail. They need to show us something too and we need to be receptive to it. Well, because you have to have the credibility of accepting the thing he said in order to have him in any way listen to your own point of view. People can't hear unless they're heard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and it it takes people very little time to realize that even if you're coming and going, I'm just curious, really, I just want to know, they can see right through it. If, if, yeah, because you seem like you're like watching them in a zoo. Yeah. Like if, if you're just like, oh, I'm fascinated by your species and I find <laughs> yeah. it weird and interesting and I brought the kids to see it also. Yeah. Like that's completely different it's than like uh, we are equals across a table and I'm here to have a conversation. That's exactly right. So that's why understanding yeah. is that's a big reason why. I mean, you, you were saying it, Robbie, right? Like I see your humanity and let's not dismiss that. That's really important. Seeing someone's humanity is another way of saying, I see that you are my equal. Yeah. I think I'm just tired by it all. You know, like I'm tired, you know, like we're not normal people in this conversation. We start a podcast where we actually interview a lot of Republicans. I run an entire media company devoted to bringing in conservative voices, including on my staff. And then I go to my family and it's like, I can't get a question, like (laughs) literally can't get a question about what it is I do, what I've learned. And it's just like at a certain point, I know I'm on the couch today about this, but it was a particularly bad Easter on this front. Like, it's just like you can't ask somebody. It's like dating. You can't ask somebody to care. Right. right? Like exactly. they either care or they don't. Exactly. And that's what hurts. Like and I know I'm not alone on this because I think our, our audience like I get this a lot from our audience, which is like there's just not a lot of curiosity going the other way. And I know yeah. we've talked about this, but it's just that's what kills me. Yeah. I need a pep talk on this. Yeah. You know, it like, sounds like from what we've learned so far, it sounds like you need to ask them why they never ask you any questions about your beliefs. I think that's that, that could be a question. good question. That could be a really good yeah, question. I think that's the next one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that could yeah. be fascinating. Um, yeah. I think, um, it, you know, another direction to go to on this whole curiosity gap piece is we do, it is amazing when you think about it, the extent to which we think that other people should meet us on our terms. Yeah. I'm ready to be curious. I'm, I'm here, you know, having walked a path to this. And so you, you, you know, within an hour, I've got to get to where you can meet me there on that same place. But my gosh, right. People are living their own media realities and their own lives and whatever. And they are just not, I think it's the expectation that makes us suffer. It's the expectation that they should reciprocate quickly. That's I think where the suffering ultimately comes from. Because we really, we can barely predict or control ourselves. We can't predict or control other people. And this 
there is a courage in patience. I think that patience is where a lot of people stop and kind of fall off on this because like you said, and you said it so well, there is pain here. It hurts. It hurts. You know, and I don't think we've looked at this kind of pain as a valid pain. It is a valid pain. When, when I'm, I'm going out of my way to see you, but I still feel like you're not seeing me, Ugh! you know, and it makes us want to be even angrier and more, more resistant. You know what you made me think about? And this is so personal. I don't know, whatever. Uh, our audience has come to expect this. Something you said reminded me of something that's happening in my life, which is one of the people in my life who is the same person, my brother, who doesn't ask me about my politics, also doesn't ask me about my life. And I've, I've, I've actually cracked the code about why he doesn't ask me about my life. And I actually think it mirrors the politics, which is I figured out about a year or two ago that the reason why my brother literally in a decade has not asked me a single question about my life is that my mom brags about me so much mm -hmm. that she, he's so sick and tired of hearing about it mm -hmm. that he probably is just like, I know what's going on, or at least he thinks he knows, right, what's going on in my life because it's being filtered through my mom who, you know, God bless her, loves to talk about me because we're kind of on the same wavelength on some of this stuff. Uh, and I can imagine that's annoying to him. Mm -hmm. So it's probably the equivalent of what happens for him, what he thinks about it in the media, which is that he's like, I know what the New York Times thinks about this. I know what MSNBC is saying. I know what Biden is saying. So I'm assuming that's what your belief is. I don't need mm -hmm. to ask you about it, right? right? Maybe that's kind of what's happening. I think that's you know? that's fascinating. And it's, you know, no way to know, you know, unless you hear it from him, but, but you yeah. know him. And I do think that, the same way we were talking about the pain of not being seen, right? The pain of feeling like no one's seeing us. I do think that sometimes on the other side, right? Because because let's be honest, a lot, most of the people I have heard saying they're not as curious about me as I am about them are liberals. Yeah. On on the right, what I what I hear, not exactly as an answer to this question, but I'm going to connect some dots, is it really sucks to be spoken to like you are drivel and scum. Yeah. It really hurts. It sucks to be talked down to like you're an idiot. And I think some folks on the right feel that, that if they ask the liberals in their lives about politics, they'll get a lecture. And, mm -hmm. and who wants that? You know, so, so maybe, maybe, and I'm just armchair philosophizing here, <laughs> you know, but, but maybe we, we assume that the other person's lack of curiosity about us is ill-motivated, but we yeah. could actually get curious about it and find out that it doesn't come from a place of devaluing us at all. Like those liberals who might sound really contemptuous as they talk to conservatives, it's it's not because they mean to be contemptuous. It's because it's because for many of us, it's like, come on, like we're, we're trying to make the world a better place. Like, can't we just get here? You know, so the contempt doesn't come from a place of actually wanting to put people down, but it does feel like that. And we have to be careful. Well, and it's also comes from a place of uh, just a strong desire to feel understood. Yes. Right. Everyone. Which can also come across as like, when you think about like, when you get into a disagreement with your spouse and like, you keep going back and being like, no, no, no I want to talk about what you said. And then what I said, and, and this happens for me mm -hmm. and Diana goes, yeah, I don't, it, I don't want to relive it. And it, and, yeah. it, and I'm like, yeah. I'm not trying to win the argument. I just want to feel like you understand what I was trying to say yes, and right. you don't have to agree with yes. me. And so yeah. I, I think yeah. that, that there's a lot of that, that then, and I know I sound like I'm lecturing when that happens, like, and I try to avoid it, but I know it happens. And I'm sure the same thing happens in political conversations. And so I guess it goes back to your point about, you know, maybe you have to keep asking them questions and then it's okay to then volunteer your views 
but maybe present them in the context of what you've heard from them about theirs. Like, yes, yes. Right? Because that way you're always, you're, you're not, because sometimes, right. Conversations like this can really just be a tug of war. I'm trying to make it about me because you're not seeing me. And the other person's trying to make it about them because you're not seeing them. Well, that's, ugh, you know, so as soon as one person actually like goes to the other and goes, okay, I mean, I hear you saying this, let me take that and jump off of that. Now you're weaving something. Now you're weaving something. And over time, you'll both feel like, okay, we're both participating here. Well, it makes me think about a conversation that I had uh, a few weeks ago with a a friend uh, who is conservative uh, and and is white and was saying, he was complaining about the fact that uh, his child was like playing in their neighborhood and there were some some black children who came up and, and said some things like use the term cracker and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And, and, and it's, uh, his, his kid's pretty young and it really, you know, it was, it, it hurt their feelings. And, um, and he was upset and he was saying like, but you know, there's no consequence for that. Mm-hmm. And so what I ended up saying to him was somewhat persuasive, but it wouldn't have been heard if I didn't start by acknowledging that that's a, as a parent, like that's a real experience. And yeah. that's, that's terrible that, I mean, that any kind of bullying, bullying like that. And, 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 you know, and, and I had to connect with that first, but, and then eventually, and then gave it a little, gave it a little space. And then later said, you know, uh, one thing I do think about also in that story is how many times has that happened to the kids who did that, but in the reverse and, are they are they mirroring that? Are they being defensive? Are they preempting that because they think that's coming? Or, you know, have they seen that happen to their parents? As mm-hmm. the you know, so but but you got to be like I was careful not to. I was not absolving them. Yeah. I was just saying like I I just wonder and and but I didn't say like so therefore you can see how it happened. I just said and that makes me sad for them too. Mm. Uh, and not and just not just for your child. And he was like, yeah, that's me too. I I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. isn't yeah. that fast? But if you had just jumped to well, you know, there's a there's a power dynamic here. There's a lot of that happening in America, by the way. Jumping to that second part before you yeah. do the first. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, there's that saying like hurt people hurt or something. I don't yes. know who said that, but it's like hurt people hurt people. One highlight of my little family trip to Easter is my mom did tell me I had gotten her this Helix mattress and she could not stop talking about this thing, Jason how much she loves it, says that she's never been getting better rest. I'm so glad we got her this mattress. I think our audience members, get your mom a Helix mattress. There's some security in that, knowing that your mom is sleeping well at night. It makes me sleep well at night. And I also have a Helix mattress, so I was sleeping pretty damn well anyway, Jason. So you just go to helixsleep.com slash majority54. You take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash majority54. That's helixsleep.com slash majority54 for up to $200 off and two free pillows. So quick funny story about learning a foreign language. Uh, Back when I was in college, 
I wanted to learn Russian because my, uh, you know, my in-laws speak Russian. So I took a really intensive course over the summer. And for the first two weeks, there was this guy, his name was Glenn. It was hard not to find it funny that Glenn didn't even attempt a Russian accent. And Glenn was like from, you know, outside Kansas City. And so he would always say, and this is how you say my name is uh, in Russian. He would, he would say, Minyal Zavut Glenn. And that always just, <laughs> that, that always just cracked me up, right? And then, and then one day, this is his last day in the class was when the professor walked up to him and had, was pulling things out of a bucket and wanted people to provide the Russian word for those things. And so he pulled out a pen. Glenn looked at him and couldn't think of it and goes, I don't know, man, pencil. And the guy and the professor goes, Good God, Glenn, it's a pen. And, <laughs> and, that, was, and Glenn, that was a Friday and I didn't see Glenn in the class on Monday. Well, we got to get Glenn a subscription to Babbel. I promise you, Glenn, this will work for you. Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go. I'm using it for Italian to get ready for my buddy's wedding. And they have 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. And they have this speech recognition technology that helps you improve your pronunciation. And yes, accent, Glenn, we can work on your accent. So there's so many different ways to learn with Babbel. In addition to lessons, you can access podcasts, games, videos, stories, and even live classes. Plus, it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. Right now, save up to 60% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash majority54. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash majority54 for up to 60% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. Minyelzevud, Jason. Well, okay, let's let's pick this up, Monica. Like give us give us the inspiration here. Your book is amazing. You walk us through this this progression, right? Just give us the sort of the the Cliff Notes version of A to B here. Like mm-hmm. where do we start and where do we end in mm-hmm. this book? Mm-hmm. Um like what's the goal uh in going through this book? Like where do we want to come out? Well, the 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 problem the book begins with is that we're so divided, we're blinded. And so once you kind of understand that, the goal becomes we have to see, we have to see each other. The book has eyes all over the cover for a reason. So from there, you have to ask the question constantly, what am I missing? And by asking the question, what am I missing? You acknowledge you're missing something, which that in and of itself will hack the certainty of this polarized climate. And then you have to decide how you want to apply your curiosity. If it's really hard or really scary to get curious with someone who actually disagrees with you, you know, in person or in a conversation, that's okay. You can begin by the next time you read a headline that's a perspective that opposes yours, you can click on it, read it, have a more curious conversation with yourself. Ask yourself as you read that article, what is the deep down concern that is being expressed here? And ask yourself, what is the strongest argument on this other side? And you will already begin to open up. Now, um, the book walks through curiosity and how it works, the gap between what you know and and what you want to know, and then goes to some things that get in our way, uh, the, the people section, the unreasonable ways that we reason, we begin to insist our reasons to each other, the ways that we conflate opinions with people, and we don't hold opinions flexibly enough to be able to explore our genuine perspectives, and then the assumptions that we hold that, that masquerade as certainty, which keep us from being able to ask questions at all. We have to question our assumptions. Um, then it's about paths, the whole ask how people came to their beliefs rather than why. And what do you focus on when you ask how? You focus on their experiences 
and their concerns. Questions of concern reveal values. And that's an extraordinary point of common ground. We often assume that people on the other side don't share our values, but actually they do. They just stack it in a different order for different issues. So if you can have a conversation about concerns, you have a conversation about values, you have a more productive conversation. And then you go to uh, the the, the context of conversation that make this productive, it doesn't matter how curious you are if people are not honest. It doesn't matter how curious you are if people are not open. If they don't feel comfortable sharing their genuine perspective, you're not really going to learn anything from each other. So creating the conditions for a more open and honest conversation is really fascinating. You can use words, language, other kinds of body gestures uh, just to open things up. And of course, contain your conversations. Don't be too tempted to have these kinds of conversations in a place with huge mass invisible audiences that are gonna keep people wanting to perform perspectives instead of explore them. And I'll stop there, but I could really go on and on. <laughs> wow. I, I have to say, I love this book. I've read it twice now. Oh, cool, no way, awesome. I, yeah, I mean, this is great timing, obviously, uh, in talking to you. Uh, I highly recommend this book. This is perfect for our audience. It's called, I'd Never Thought of It That Way. And it's, you know, pretty fresh off the presses, right? It just came mm -hmm. out not too long ago, right? March 8th. Yep. Pretty new. And the critics have been raving about it. And, uh, you know, tell our, tell our listeners where they can find it. Yes. Uh, if you go to reclaimcuriosity.com, um, you can find uh, the book there and buy it uh, from whatever bookseller you prefer. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Moni Guzman, M-O-N-I-G-U-Z-M-A-N. Well, Monica, thank you so much. This was amazing. Thanks, guys. Thank you for doing this. This was great. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. All right, that conversation has to have inspired you uh, to you know, think of different things that you would like to hear us take on, different issues that you're having either in your family or otherwise, where you're like, how do I get at this issue, this conversation? Well, look, you always hear me say, that there's a phone number you can call to leave us a voicemail. And that's true. It's still the case. 508-687-2589. 508-687-2589. But also, you can now email us. Uh, we we went into the lab and we, we, we came up with this newfangled thing. It's called email. We hear that everybody's doing it. You can now email us uh, your concerns and we may read them on the air. Uh, and tackle the issues that you come up with, or just tell us where we're wrong. Uh, and that is m54 at wondermedianetwork.com. It's m54 at wondermedianetwork.com. As always, I'm at Jason Kander on Instagram and Twitter. Ravi is at Ravi M. Gupta on Twitter and Instagram. Monica is at Moni Guzman. That's M-O-N-I-G-U-Z-M-A-N on Twitter. Uh, and also, you can leave an Amazon review uh, or uh, like on Goodreads or wherever you, you leave your book reviews about her book to, so that more people will find it. And then our show is at Majority54 on Twitter. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch, Edie Allard, and Adesua Agbanayo. Theme music provided by Kemet Coleman. And special thanks to Diana Kander. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world. For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard Professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. 
Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.